Here you are, Cobbs Hill in Rochester, New York. It's a beautiful park right off of the I-490 freeway. On a sunny day, you can find local Rochesterians playing basketball, tennis, baseball, and on playgrounds. Lake Riley sits across from Cobbs Hill Village, a retirement community. Further up on the hill is another water feature, the city's local water reservoir, which has been there since 1909. My name is Caden Dowd. I'm Gina Romanazzi. And I'm Kayla Lynn. And this is Here You Are, Rochester Retold, Season 4, Episode 3, In the Shadows of Cobbs Hill. From flower, that's F-L-O-U-R, to Kodak cameras and Bausch & Lomb lenses, Rochester has always been an industrial city. These urban factories have made Rochester the hub for manufacturing wartime equipment and also providing food rations to soldiers on the front line. And as a city filled with World War I veterans, Rochester's involvement in World War II was inevitable. One of these World War I veterans was Colonel John M. McDowell. Colonel John M. McDowell has been named commander of the Western New York Military District, which includes Rochester. He will assume his new duties today. As commander of the district, he will control all military activities in Western New York outside Fort Niagara. McDowell, the commander of the Western New York Military District, led the war effort at home, which was a battlefield of its own. Women, children, and those who were not drafted looked at the colonel as the leader and spokesperson. In the summer of 1943, the farms surrounding Rochester were readying for their first harvests of the year. In normal times, a combination of seasonal and migrant laborers would collect the produce that fed New York State and the surrounding region. In wartime, however, things were different. The military draft and attractive working conditions in factories that were producing war equipment caused extreme labor shortages. While women and children had volunteered to fill in the labor supply gap, they were not enough to make up the shortfall the war effort had diverted. Rochester's farms needed help, or the produce of an entire growing season would rot on the vine. The United States has taken 50,000 prisoners of war as captives. These prisoners could prove themselves as a valuable asset to the farmers and canners of upstate New York. In accordance with the Geneva Convention, agricultural farm work was not considered war-related and therefore acceptable and safe for prisoners. The third convention, GPW, is the Geneva Convention relative to the treatment of prisoners of war. As the name implies, this convention deals with prisoners of war's rights, duties, and treatment. Rochester needed the crops to be harvested to not risk more food going to waste. With its dwindling labor force, Rochester not only had a need, but also the spaces to host the prisoners in vacant military barracks. On a warm fall day in late September 1943, 60 Italian captives in army vehicles were escorted by state troopers through Monroe County. They were driving to where they will spend their remaining days as prisoners of war in Rochester. Their final destination, Cobbs Hill Park. The old military barracks had become the makeshift war camp. It was located in a public park, Cobbs Hill, and surrounded by a greater residential area. 
The prisoner camp in Cobbs Hill was strategic in many ways. It had existing housing, a military bunker, and the Hojack Railroad directly connecting the agricultural farmlands and surrounding canneries. In trucks, the prisoners arrived at Cobbs Hill, ready to work. With three meals a day, heat, clothing, medical attention, the conditions at Cobbs Hill met the basic human necessities. McDowell and city officials assured the treatment of the Italian prisoners had met the expectations regarding prisoner handling laid out in the Geneva Convention of 1929. Colonel McDowell announced, Provisions for recreation and for religious counsel have been made for the prisoners. The convoy included several Catholic chaplains, and in many communities, local priests were called on to assist. Not only did Cobbs Hill provide religious accommodations, but also English classes, Christmas packages, radio access, and paid working wages of 80 cents an hour, which is equivalent to almost $13 an hour today. Right now, the farmers are not even sure of getting the same amount of prisoners of war labor they had this fall. For my part, I'm wholly convinced that with the help of Italian war prisoners, New York farmers in 1944 can produce even in excess of this year's bumper crop. The prisoners were praised with their work in the fields and canneries. Trucks and the Hojack Railroad transported the prisoners to the work and brought them back to camp at night. McDowell and the media continually praised the work of the prisoners. Their work maximized the year's harvesting season, but also set up excess crops for the next year. The Italian prisoners exceeded the expectations of work for McDowell, food manufacturers, and others. Their work was able to turn the tide for Rochester's fragile future in the war. Treat the prisoners with respect, not as jail prisoners. However, don't fraternize with them. We are still at war with Italy until peace is finally settled. The prisoners were prohibited from interacting or fraternizing with the civilians and vice versa. The military barracks were not only in a public park, but surrounded by a greater residential area. This meant having the enemy down the block, across the street, or as a neighbor. Rochesterians were curious. The citizens and Italian prisoners still found ways to interact and communicate. Many Italian immigrants living in Rochester were eager to meet their fellow countrymen. What would they be like? Which part of Italy did they come from? Somebody close to home, maybe? Numerous Rochester locals would take a stroll past Cobbs Hill and visit the Italians living in the old military police barracks. One visit turned into many. Food would be exchanged through the barbed wire fence and weekend dances organized. Slowly it dawned on the Rochesterians that the Italian prisoners of war didn't seem much different than their American counterparts. They were young men fighting in the war. President Roosevelt says, Armistice with Italy has been concluded. It was October the 13th, 1943. Italy declares war on Germany. Word spreads quickly to America, and there's a dramatic shift in the tone of the war. Is there finally a light at the end of the tunnel? The local newspaper, the Times Union, noted, The Italian prisoners of war at Cobbs Hill were transformed into visitors, worthy of hospitality and friendship and their status as prisoners of war would be revoked soon. However, this meant that according to the Geneva Convention, the Italians would therefore no longer be forced to work in the farms and canneries. With the sudden loss of labor, farmers and canners were again in desperate need of help. The success of the Italian prisoners of war had left Rochester with an even greater bounty of crops. 
However, Rochester was hesitant about using an alternative workforce, Germans. The great Italian community in Rochester had made assimilation and acceptance of Italian prisoners of war easier. But the Germans? The Nazis? Pressure from canners and farmers encouraged McDowell and other city officials to finally accept help from German prisoners of war. But unlike their Italian counterparts, Germany was the primary antagonist and enemy. The procedure for bringing new prisoners of war was different for Germans, because they had a different reputation. Disobedient, prone to escape attempts, and violent. We will tolerate no German prisoners in Rochester. Should be the cry of every soul in the city. No one need be reminded of the atrocities inflicted upon millions of defenseless people. Our boys are tortured and mowed down in a brutal wanton list to kill, while the Germans in this country are fed on steaks, pork chops, and fancy foods. The media portrayed them consistently as the Cobbs Hill Nazis, led with headlines of disapproval. But for German prisoners, life at Cobbs Hill was in fact similar to the Italians' experience, despite the extra media attention and guards. German prisoners had many of the same responsibilities of the Rochester Harvest, and were granted the same privileges of the Italians at Cobbs Hill, such as heat, food, and wages. The following winter in 1945 was shaped by extreme weather conditions. Due to a lot of snowstorms, streets were closed, and people stayed inside for warmth. For the German prisoners, these developments came with a new task. Under tight guard, a handful of Germans worked on snow removal after a blizzard had covered all the streets in Rochester. For Rochesterians, the struggle of snow is an act that many can empathize with. These unpopular prisoners did a great deed for Rochester. Public opinion reflected less harshly, more approvingly afterwards, almost like their Italian predecessors. As the weather got warmer, German prisoners sang songs from their home country. The prisoners drew crowds of hundreds of curious local citizens to gather and enjoy the sounds in Cobbs Hill Park, thus solidifying the relationship between prisoners and locals. Finally, on May 8, 1945, the war in Europe officially ended. Approximately 4,000 German prisoners now working in the district are screened and processed for return to their homeland after their departure, depending on the availability of shipping. The Rochesterians say their goodbyes as the former prisoners are shipped back to Germany on the first day in November. When you walk around Cobbs Hill today, there are no signs, no plaques, no real evidence that these camps existed. In our journey to investigate Cobbs Hill, we asked experts to explain why there are no signs of the prisoners of war. So I'm Brandon Fess. I'm the Special Collections Librarian of the Rochester Public Library. Elisabetta Sanino D'Amanda. Uh, I am the Italian coordinator um, at Rochester Institute of Technology. Were they ignored? Were they forgotten? What happened? But on the whole, I wouldn't say it's being ignored so much as it's just a rather small moment in Rochester's history, and like so many small moments, it doesn't get a ton of recognition. We barely hear about prisoner of war being German or Japanese or Italian in the United States in general. Just a piece of history that is kind of under the carpet. It was more a curiosity than anything else. Even when we talk about industrial production in Rochester during World War II, 
people tend to remember a handful of things much better than others. So for example, the role that Baosh and Lam played directly and indirectly with the Norden bomb site is reasonably well known. But on the flip side, I don't know many Rochesterians at all who are aware of the fact that 600,000 M1 carbines were made here. Italians really wanted to identify with Italian American, they wanted to identify with the United States. They wanted to be belong here. That group, that population felt the integration was very important to them, right? So anything controversial like that, that could lead to political uh, discrepancy between Italians and non-Italians, and also Italians within themselves. There is never any conversation that entails politics. In my experience of 20 plus years working with Casa Italiana, older generation, never ever uh, heard an account on prisoner war. So that tells something, right? Was there any cultural contact, cultural exchange that may have happened? It's the loss of that level of personal detail, personal experience it can be really challenging for talking about history as something more than just a chronology. It's just a statement of facts. I'm working on a second documentary that is um, focusing on language, what language the uh, Italian uh, community spoke at the time of migration. The bottom line of, of this investigation on language is really to discuss uh, what is Italian identity, the construction of Italian identity in this nation. Why I'm bringing this out is because I think the discussion of the prisoner wars is part of the same conversation, the conversation that is a bit uncomfortable with the Italian community and the conversation we need to have. What is our identity? Even though Rochester's prisoners during World War II were a small segment of the city's history over time, they are significant as part of a larger story. A story which reveals what it means to be a Rochesterian. For some, it's a story that reinforces a century-old belief that you can't avoid uncomfortable topics. The neglect for others serves as a warning of a historical loss. The fact that the prisoners of war history is not well known among the broad public was surprising for us considering the great impact the prisoners' presence had on the civilian population. For Rochesterians, loyalty to your country would have to be redefined when the opposing enemy was suddenly in their midst. Polite interactions became an expected necessity for the war effort. Forced coexistence developed the neighborly bonds of shared culture, respect, and wartime strife. The Rochesterians' hospitality was brought to light even for prisoners that were the enemy in war. Despite at times feeling threatened because the enemy was practically living in their backyard, Rochester locals made an effort to connect with the Italians and Germans. Telling Rochester's prisoner of war history sheds light on the special character of Rochesterians and shows that for Monroe County, those who share the same air, fight the same fight, enemies or not, are all treated like Rochesterians. Rochester's prisoner of war history is a story about personal and cultural connections that were lost. How we remember is what makes history more than facts on paper.
this concludes episode three of Here You Are, season four, a podcast created by students at the University of Rochester. The lead researcher for this episode was Gina Romanazzi. It was produced by Caden Dowd and sound engineered by Kayla Lynn. Here You Are is created using Faders, a collaborative online audio production workstation. We would like to thank Brandon Fess and Professor Diamanda for sharing their insight in our interviews. Derek Scala and Michael LeBlanc for their voice acting. The coordinating producer for this season of Here You Are is Celia Canal. The executive producers are Thomas Fleischman and Steven Restner. And be sure to check out the other episodes of Here You Are, Season 4, Rochester Retold at hereyouare.com. Thank you for listening.